From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in and for making us part of your day. Well, coming up on this Tuesday edition, the first presidential primary is underway today in New Hampshire. The results uh, could be defining for both parties. Now, President Biden is not on the ballot as National Democrats have moved their first official primary to South Carolina. However, voters are being encouraged in New Hampshire to write in Joe Biden's name where two other Democrats are on the ballot, Congressman Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson. Uh, If they do well, could be bad for the president. On the Republican side, the Republican race is now down to two, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. Will it be down to just one tomorrow? We'll have to wait and see. Well, not in New Hampshire. President Biden is campaigning. He and his team are in key states campaigning on the administration's number one issue, abortion. My administration is going to keep working to protect women in the wake of the Supreme Court's extreme decision. That's why I created a task force to ensure we're doing everything we can to support women. It is going to take all of us. Joe Biden and I are fighting in court to protect women's access to medication and emergency care. We will do everything in our powers to make sure that no American goes without the health care that they need. And that includes abortion care. Their number one issue. We're going to get a reaction from Maryland Congressman Andy Harris, co-chair of the Pro-Life Caucus in the House. And while abortion is President Biden's top issue, guess what? It's not for the American people. According to a Harvard-Harris poll released yesterday, the top issue, drumroll please, is immigration. Immigration is now the top issue for Americans over the economy, over inflation, as according to a new Harvard poll. So is immigration the president's top priority? There are many issues that are top priorities for this president. Uh, that, of course, was White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre doing what she does every day, dodging and ducking reporter questions. Well, while Americans point to the border as a growing threat to our republic, President Biden points to conservatives as a threat to democracy. We're living in an era where a determined minority is doing everything in its power to try to destroy our democracy for their own agenda. The American people know it. And they're standing bravely in the breach. Yes, they do know it. And I pray they will stand in the breach. We're going to talk with Kansas Senator Roger Marshall in just a moment. And here is one of my favorite individuals talking about one of my favorite global institutions. There are those who claim that the pandemic agreement and IHR will cede sovereignty to WHO and give the WHO Secretariat the power to impose lockdowns or vaccine mandates on countries. You know, this is fake news, lies, and conspiracy theories. That, of course, was Secretary General Tedros Ghebreyesus of the World Health Organization, yesterday, revealing that the who is growing concerned that the people are catching on to the what, what they're doing. Chris Gasick, Senior Fellow for Regulatory Affairs at the Family Research Council, joins me with the latest news on who. And despite pressure from the Biden administration and others on the left to let Hamas go, Israel, uh, despite that opposition and their own military losses, remain committed 
to eliminating the terrorist group that invaded their country on October the 7th. Hamas will not stop until it is stopped. And that is why we continue fighting to dismantle Hamas's military and governing capabilities and bring back the hostages. Because otherwise, if we return to the lines of October 6th, it will only be a matter of time until Hamas perpetrates another massacre again. It was Israeli government spokesman Elian Levy today uh, before uh, with the uh, foreign media briefing. Carolyn Gleck, senior contributing editor of the Jewish News Syndicate, will join us live from Israel later here on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Job chapter 6. To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friends, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brooks that pass away, which are dark because of the ice and into which the snow vanishes. When it is warm, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. After tragedy had befallen him, Job wasn't feeling much love from his friends. They were misdiagnosing his problem, telling him all that had happened to him was because he had committed evil. They would have been much more encouraging if they would have just continued to sit in silence. You know, in times of Great personal tragedy and uncertainty in the lives of those around us. Our presence is often more comforting than our words. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Earlier today, multiple Democrat governors made a desperate plea for Congress and the White House to essentially bail them out as the Biden administration's border crisis overwhelms their sanctuary cities. Now, this comes as Senate negotiations continue for the border security legislation that we've been talking about. However, a chance of a vote to fix the border crisis happening this week seems to be slipping away. What issues have led to these delays? Well, and here's a bigger question. If they can get something, will House Republicans support it? Joining me now to discuss this and much more, Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, who practiced medicine for more than 25 years, he serves on the on four Senate committees, including the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee and the Senate Committee on Health, Labor and Pensions. Dr. Marshall, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's great to be with you tonight. We've got some incredible topics we need to visit with you, you and your listeners. Well, let's jump right into this. The senators negotiating a possible agreement have kept a pretty tight lid on the information regarding the provisions that would secure our southern border. What can you tell us? Well, I think we're kind of treading water right now that we are seeing uh, the main issue is parole. Let me talk about parole just for a second. President Obama paroled 5,000 people per year. Joe Biden is paroling 700,000 people per year. It's this get out of jail free card that even though you're not qualified to come in this country, I'm just going to ignore the law. The law says to do this one person at a time, but Joe Biden is doing it tens of thousands of people at a time. So I, so I think what my advice is that we shouldn't agree to anything until we agree to everything. The challenge is this may be a once in a generation opportunity to get some policy changes just want to remind your listeners that even if we had President Trump back in office, if we have 53 Republican senators, if we have a majority on the House, the Democrats will vote against this in the Senate. And it will take 60 votes in the Senate to change any policy. 
So I'm trying to be patient. I'm waiting to read the whole bill, but I'm really concerned about this parole aspect of the legislation that we've been educated about. As you said, this is a probably a, a once, I wouldn't say a once in a lifetime, but it is, uh, it's, it's rare that you have the type of leverage that you currently have because uh, the Biden administration and Democrats want this additional funding for Ukraine. In fact, uh, quoting from the Senate Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer, uh, he says, the future of the war in Ukraine hangs in the balance. The security of our Western democracy hangs in the balance. Now, I, 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 I tell you, if he were so concerned about democracy and the future of it, I think the first place he should start is the southern border. But anything that they embrace so wholeheartedly as this war in Ukraine, I'm going to be very candid, Senator. It makes me question their motives. Right. And one of my big concerns here is that I don't negotiate with people that don't share the same goals that I do. I will sit down and have a cup of coffee with you as long as we have the same goals in mind. My goal is to secure our southern border. It's my goal. It's my priority. For three months, I've talked about this needs to be the number one uh, priority for America is to secure our own border. But Joe Biden's priority is to get as many people as he can across the finish line with uh, so they can vote for in the future. And at the same time, their other priority is to fund Ukraine. We could talk about Ukraine. We've, Ukraine, we've talked about that before. Um, but my priority is to secure the border right now. And But we're using this as leverage, the Ukraine funding as leverage. So we'll see where this ends up. Right. I, I agree with you. I've used this illustration before. But it's just like when you're flying on an airplane, uh, if, if, if the oxygen decreases and the mask fall down, put your own mask on first, then help someone else. And I think that's the same thing with our border. We have to secure our own country, our own future before we can help anyone else. Yeah, it, it is that simple. And as we talk about uh, this campaign unwinding, we have Joe Biden. He's running on, as you said, abortion, and he's running on that Donald Trump is the threat to democracy. I want to remind your listeners that Joe Biden is the threat to democracy. When we have an open border, when we don't, when we have basically no southern border, we're not a sovereign nation anymore. When we have a president that doesn't believe in law and order, when he believes in cashless bail, when he believes in defunding the police, and really just a lack of respect for the law, not applying the law equally, then that's an attack on our democracy. And then lastly is his attack on our constitutional rights. Whether it's the Second Amendment, the freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, we don't have a democracy, we don't have a republic if we have a president that doesn't maintain our borders, respect the law, and respect our constitutional rights. He's the threat to democracy. I mean, and you lay that out in a piece that uh, you've written. In fact, folks, you can find it at TonyPerkins.com. Uh, it's it's uh, listed under the episode resources. The president, as you made reference, he's out campaigning. In fact, not just him, the vice president. This is uh, she's the abortion czar. She's out. Uh, Secretary Becerra, he's out campaigning on uh, abortion as if this were the the number one issue that Americans care about. And, and let me just give a little context for our viewers and listeners. Uh, you have delivered as a doctor over 5000 babies. You know a little bit about babies. You know a little bit about health care. Um, abortion is not health care. Yeah, it's that simple. And, and, I, and I just got to add this, this emphasize this point that if an attack on the sanctity of life is an attack on this republic as well in so many ways. 
And from the moment this president took office, appointing Secretary Becerra, his goal was to hand out abortion pills over the counter even, without a doctor ever examining them. And what I can bring for context, as a person that never prescribed an abortion pill, but had to take care of people having complications from them. It's what they don't tell people that's going to happen when these young ladies take these abortion pills, that they might bleed and cramp for three hours, they may bleed and cramp for three days. And no one's there to hold their hand through this. It's really, uh, it, it's just sad, but, but, but you're right. Abortion care is not part of health care, uh, in, in my opinion, in your opinion, that we all believe we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, the joy of my life to, to celebrate each one of those 5,000 births and just uh, so proud to, to be representing people and fighting for life up here in Washington, D.C. now. And in, in yesterday I had the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina on. We were discussing this very thing on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, that infamous court case, that, you know, we're about protecting the unborn. And that's not anything that the Republicans should back away from. You certainly haven't. And, and we need to see more out there championing the well-being of unborn children and their mothers. Final word. Well, it was great to be at March for Life last week as well, to be with uh, hundreds of kids from Kansas up here marching for life, standing for life. And I, you know, I love their motto this year, which is uh, with every woman, for every baby. And just want to know moms out there that, that Christian people like you and me, our parents back home, that we're going to stand beside you during the pregnancy, after the pregnancy. You're welcome in our family. Senator Roger Marshall, always great to uh, see you, and we're going to continue to track the developments there on the border. Appreciate you uh, joining us today to give us the latest. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, uh, he's just a great guy in fighting hard for the things that we care about. And another reminder, should do this more often, but this is why we need to be praying for these men and women of deep conviction here in our nation's capital. Don't go away. We're back with more. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply 
and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, um, the border, right, the border. I know you care about the border. I've heard from folks you should care about the border. It's about national sovereignty. It is about, you know, we can't help anybody until we help ourselves. And so the the House has to stand firm on this, and we're going to be communicating that to them. And so I want to encourage you to sign the petition to the House leadership, urging them to use all available leverage to stop the flow of illegal immigrants, drugs, human trafficking, and all the rest at our southern border. Text the word border to 67742. That's 67742. Also, as we were talking about earlier, you know, the Biden administration out campaigning on abortion. I mean, they're, they've already released their first national ads. They want to make abortion the number one issue in the 2024 election cycle. Well, there's only, a, there's only one problem. The American people, in fact, as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago with Dr. Marshall, the a Harris poll, Harvard-Harris poll, released yesterday, shows that immigration is now the top concern for voters, up seven points since last month to 35 percent, with inflation being at second, 32 percent. Seventy-seven percent of voters believe the Biden administration should make a deal with Republicans to increase border security, including 65 percent of Democrats. But they want to talk about abortion. Joining me now to discuss this issue and how the Republicans can counter this message and, and actually take the truth to the American people is another doctor, Dr. Andy Harris. He serves on the House Appropriations Committee and is a member of the GOP Doctors Caucus and co-chair of the House Pro-Life Caucus. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Maryland. Dr. Harris, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you, Tony. So the Biden administration uh, making abortion their number one issue. I mean, got everybody in the uh, the administration out campaigning on this. I assume that they're doing this because they want a repeat of what happened in the midterm elections where Republicans were kind of silent on the issue and let the Democrats define it. But it appears to me, Dr. Harris, that more Republicans are starting to get their footing and they're just going back to where we were, you know, 45 years ago, talking about protecting the unborn, a message that connects with the American people. Am I right? 
Uh, yeah, that's right. And the other message that we're going to send is that, uh, you know, we support the pregnancy resource centers, which are tremendously popular throughout the country, uh, which give women a, a true choice, uh, which give women the support they need uh, for, for their for their unborn and their born children. Uh, and, and, and we think that's totally consistent with the pro-life movement. It's an important part of it. And uh, surprisingly enough, last week, uh, you know, the Democrats voted against even supporting pregnancy resource centers. Right. That bill was on the House floor last week. That's right. And, uh, you know, look, 83 percent of Americans support pregnancy resource centers. But, uh, you know, the, the Democrats just don't don't believe in them. Uh, but I think that, again, the American people have it right on that. And uh, and, uh, you know, the Republicans are going to be talking about it this year. I want to commend you for leading out on that, because I do think that, you know, Republicans were caught flat footed uh, after the Dobbs decision. And and quite frankly, they just forgot what they were doing before. And that was protecting the unborn. This is not about abortion. It's about unborn children being protected and their their mothers as well, not being victimized by the abortion industry. Uh, that's right. Look, we, we've, we've always held that uh, the, the women should have should have the ability to carry that uh, infant uh, to, to delivery. And the extremists on the other side believe, on the other hand, that you should be able to abort that child up until the time of delivery. Uh, that is the extreme position. There's no question about it. Uh, a very small minority of Americans think that a woman should be able to abort a child for any reason up until the moment of birth. Let's talk about a point of consensus, because there's a lot of discussion nationally, you know, um, in the presidential race that, um, you know, some say, you know, there's no agreement on where we should draw the line on abortion. Um, but isn't there agreement that Americans should not be forced to fund something they're morally opposed to? I mean, isn't that a place of consensus? Uh, certainly the, the majority of Americans believe that, and a, and a large majority believe that especially we shouldn't be doing it overseas, uh, because we, the Biden administration is funding abortions in other countries as well. Uh, again, these are, these are majority issues. Uh, pregnancy Resource Center is huge majority. Uh, overseas funding of overseas abortions, a large majority, a majority who disagree with uh, funding abortions here in the country, and a majority of Americans believe that some limits should be placed on abortions. They should not be available up until the moment of birth for, for any reason. But that's the Democratic Party's platform. It is abortion until birth and taxpayer funded. They want you to fund it. That, that is their stated position. That's not, that's not an exaggeration. That is what they're calling for. Uh, that's absolutely right, and that's what they've been voting for in Congress. Uh, the, the bill uh, that Na when Nancy Pelosi, before she left office, they brought the bill to the floor, and the bill would would allow abortion up until the moment of birth for any reason, and, sex selection, any reason whatsoever. And that's what President Biden is calling for. It's what he called for yesterday from the White House. He wants to codify Roe v. Wade, which is essentially the bill that Nancy Pelosi put forward, and it eradicates all pro-life laws in every state across the nation. Uh, that's absolutely right. So what we have to ask is we have to ask exactly why a woman should, be, should have the right to terminate a, a, a pregnancy in its ninth month because she doesn't like the sex of the child. I mean, that's exactly how extreme uh, the Democrats are and how extreme Joe Biden is. And we have to talk about that. And again, we have to talk about the fact that we're the ones who support a real alternative, a real choice for women pregnancy resource centers. I mean, Dr. Harris, 
it doesn't seem like it's even close competition as to who's extreme. The Biden administration Democrats are extreme. Abortion until birth funded by taxpayers. That's outrageous. Uh, that, that's absolutely right. And, and that's exactly what they support. And that's what when they had the majority in the House, those are the votes they took. Wow. Amazing. And the American people need to know that. Dr. Andy Harris, always good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. You know, folks, that's not what you're going to hear with the legacy media. I mean, that is the policy that was advanced, as Dr. Harris said, by Nancy Pelosi. They voted for it on the floor. Democrats voted for it. And that's what President Joe Biden called for yesterday. It's what Kamala Harris is out campaigning for today. That is what they want. That, among many things, is at stake in this election. All right, don't go away. We're going to talk about my favorite global institution after the break, the who. We're going to talk about the what the who is doing. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. have you with us on this uh, Tuesday for Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Resources there, available there for you. And again, I need your help as we continue to draw attention to the border. And as was discussed earlier, we're at this pivotal moment where there is leverage to be used to secure that southern border. So text the word border to 67742. And uh, we're going to make sure we deliver that message to the Republican leadership in the House. 
Another issue that I stay focused on, because it is a threat, it is at the tip of the spear of the globalization. And, and I will tell you, you know, I don't know the timing of all of uh, what will happen in Revelation, but I, I would not be surprised to see the United Nations and the World Health Organization being a part of what we read in Revelation. And so I continue to call attention to the World Health Organization's proposed pandemic agreement. Now, yesterday marked the deadline to submit comments and offer feedback to the Biden administration's Department of Health and Human Services regarding this possible agreement. Now, you've actually been helping us by submitting comments there as well, and, and I'm grateful for that. But yesterday, the Family Research Council submitted our response, which addressed the problems to this agreement. It's really a treaty. And, and, and the, the, the problems that this poses to American national sovereignty and, and, and doing so from a biblical perspective, because I believe, you know, we need to examine all these things according to truth. Well, joining me now to discuss this, Chris Gasick, Senior Fellow for Regulatory Affairs here at the Family Research Council, who authored the written comment on behalf of FRC regarding whose pandemic preparedness agreement. Chris Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Uh, It's good to see you, Tony. Now, we've called for the agreement to be rejected entirely. I mean, it it cannot be salvaged with edits or amendments, but this was an opportunity to speak into the process. So explain why we did what we did and what the possible outcomes are. Well, the I I, I saw this as such a sweeping document and and. At one point, I basically said this is uh, the WHO, you know, the, the draft treaty is, a, is more of a political manifesto and a you know, world government constitution. But it's a political manifesto more than was anything because it just called for you know, wrapping up so many uh, parts of uh, the world po- politics and economy and all these sorts of things in this uh, global framework that they were putting together. And I thought you know, it, would, it, it would be really important to sort of say – what Family Research Council is, what we're about, and how our basically our uh, worldview is different than the worldview of uh, you know the uh, World Health Organization and the the whole UN and globalist you know conglomerate. And so we start off by basically saying that uh, above all else, we believe in protecting life and that uh, human life is is critical because uh, man is made in the image and likeness of God, and we made that, I mean, just, I think, stated that very clearly up front and, and then also reiterated a, a very strong commitment to free speech and free scientific inquiry and, and the ability of people to work together without, uh, you know, uh, unipolar, uh, you know, medical domination from uh, higher authorities. Well, and, and also a part of this accord, uh, which was not uh, central to our comments yesterday that were filed, but a part of this pandemic accord is for calling upon member states to uh, sim- essentially suppress uh, contrary thought and views. Right. I mean, it, it, it part of the whole process and, and part of the, the larger, uh, you know, the framework around it, there is this whole U.N. Uh, conglomerate about these uh, – uh, sustainable development goals that are supposed to be, you know, completed by 2030. But it's these things all sort of wrap into each other. But there's a, a big concern in all of these institutions about uh, free speech and the ability of people to uh, 
communicate with each other and react uh, in you know critical fashion and, and analyze the sorts of you know solutions and political uh, dictates that they are uh, demanding of us, and, yeah, and 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 we reject that. So yeah, I, I want to play a clip from uh, the Secretary General Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus yesterday. Uh, I, I think anticipating probably this program today and, and what we're saying. Clip number seven. There are those who claim that the pandemic agreement and IHR will cede sovereignty to WHO and give the WHO Secretariat the power to impose lockdowns or vaccine mandates on countries. You know, this is fake news, lies and conspiracy theories. You know, these claims are completely false. So this is all fake news, talking about the power that they're trying to use to impose on the entire world, member states, these protocols that would be triggered by pandemics. Well, one of the things I just want to say is, you know, I'm not sure he's isn't sort of playing one game here, which is, uh, you know, the, the who is sort of saying, well, we're not, you know, grabbing or taking this power. Well, if, if the United States gives you power over it to the who, right, you know, are they, are they sort of grabbing it? I'm not sure that there isn't some sort of sophistry there. But, but look, I mean, the, remember, there's another track here, which is the, the, it's moving along, and it has to do with these international health regulations. And, and that kind of cluster of, of you know, uh, of agreements and ideas is this, you know, the, the WHO, pre, you know, the, the head of the WHO is able to declare an international health emergency. Right. So once that happens, then all of this sort of power comes into a it, place. It, it, and, 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 and so then you start having all of this flow right. out of it. And, and so, I, yeah, he's, he's, he's not telling it, the truth. It, it, it's a really good point. If, if, if these member states give this power to them, then they're not really taking it. So you've got to watch the word games that they're playing. Chris Gasek, we're out of time. We're going to talk more about this, I'm sure, in the days ahead. Thanks so much for being with us. Good to be here. All right, folks, we go to Israel next, live. Caroline Glick joins us. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution 
what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. And hey, do me a favor. Share Washington Watch with a friend. Let them know that they can tune in, maybe on a local station or watch on television, or they can even go to TonyPerkins.com. Watch it there as well. All right. One more time. I need your help on the border. Not actually, you don't have to go to the border. I just need you to text border to 67742. That's 67742, the word border. Sign the petition that the link will take you to so that I can get that to the Republican leadership in the House because they're coming back next week and this is going to be front and center, I hope. And so we need them to stand firm. And, you know, we don't have to look far to see why this is important. I mean, we we go back in history to October the 7th when Israel's border was crossed by Hamas terrorists and that atrocity that took place. Well, Israel's war against Hamas continues. And yesterday, the Israeli Defense Forces suffered its deadliest day since the Gaza ground attack began when a building collapsed on soldiers clearing terrain for Israelis to return to their homes near the Gaza border. Now, yesterday's casualties come at a time when international pressure is building on Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to conclude the war against Hamas prematurely. That pressure is coming also from the Biden administration. Now, given the struggle Israel faces for its very survival, would caving to such pressure and leaving Hamas leadership in place merely enable future attacks? Join me now to discuss this and more is Carolyn Glick. She's a senior contributing editor at the Jewish News Syndicate and host of Carolyn Glick Show on Jewish News Syndicate. Carolyn, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Thanks for staying up so late there in Israel. Oh, I'm always happy to join you on your show. Thanks for having me, Tony. So our our thoughts and prayers are with everyone in Israel. I pray almost daily. I would say I do pray daily for the peace of Jerusalem and for Israel. But in particular yesterday, as you mourn the greatest loss of uh, soldiers there, Uh, Provide an update on how the war against Hamas is trending and how IDF leaders are uh, uh, gauging their progress. 
Um, it's a, sort of an up and down kind of thing. You're right. We lost uh, uh, 24 soldiers yesterday, which was the most uh, lethal, uh, deadly day of fighting that we've had uh, so far since we began the ground operation in Gaza um, in early November. Um, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's a big blow. It's a big blow to the country. It's a big blow to the families. Um, but uh, the fight must go on because, as you said, you know this is this is really a war for Israel's survival. Um, it's not because Hamas, in and of itself, poses an existential threat. They don't have atomic bombs, and um, most of the terrorists who came into Israel, invaded Israel, were killed actually uh, while they were in Israel. So uh, we were able to fend it off. A surprise attack. Uh, it took much longer than it should have, but uh, within 36 hours, they were all. Uh, uh, dead or arrested. So, you know, the the problem with Hamas is that if they're allowed to remain in place, uh, first they will uh, rebuild their forces and they will strike again because that's all they exist to do. And by the way, they organize the entire society of Gaza and indeed uh, Palestinian society writ large around the sole principle of genocide. Uh, they don't have anything that animates them as a people other than killing Jews. Right. Unfortunately, but that's the way it is, which is why there's really no possibility of peace. But really, if they're allowed to stay, it's not even a question of them regenerating their their power, they're rebuilding their forces and attacking again. It's that, um, you know, George Orwell said that the fastest way to end a war is to is to uh, lose it. And that's really what uh, Israel is being pressured to do by the United States right now when they're telling us to sue for a ceasefire to get the hostages out without defeating Hamas. And it invites aggression. We have so many enemies that are poised to attack us, whether it's the Palestinians in Judea and Samaria, whether it's uh, Hezbollah, Iran's Lebanese foreign legion that controls Lebanon, uh, whether it's uh, Iranian-controlled militia in Syria or even the Syrian military, which is controlled by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. Uh, you have Iraqi uh, Syrian forces that, I mean, Shiite forces that are controlled by Iran that have also been moving into Syria and even into Jordan to attack Israel. Um, and of course, the Houthis in Yemen who have been shooting cruise missiles and ballistic missiles at uh, at the port city of Eilat in, at the mouth of the Red Sea, Israel's uh, southern tip. Um, so, you know, we, we're facing, and, and obviously the, the head of it all is... Uh, the head of the snake is Iran, right. which is moving very quickly towards a nuclear finishing line. And if we don't finish the job with Hamas, what we're telling everybody is that it's open season uh, on Israel. Exactly. L let me ask you this question. But if Hamas is neutralized, do, do, do you see the others backing off? Or do, do, is Israel reached, are we at a new phase in this conflict in the Middle East where we're going to see Iran pressing this regardless? Um, you know, it, there's always a big question about Iran's war plan. What is it doing? Is it, is it using uh, Hamas to distract Israel as it crosses the nuclear finish line because we're busy in, in one uh less uh, existential battlefield because uh, uh, we were attacked from it and then we didn't go after Hezbollah. So it, there's also a question. We've been drawing down a lot of our reserve forces uh, that have been operating in Gaza. I think we've removed two and a half divisions of reservists. And 
uh, you know, we're all happy to get our, our sons home and, and husbands and son and 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 uh, grandsons and all the rest of it. But uh, we didn't win yet. And so there's a sense of why why is everybody coming home? And and one of the assessments is, you know, we we need to have them uh, ready to go attack uh, in the north because, you know, we have 100,000 internal refugees from the northern border communities that cannot return home until uh, Hezbollah forces have been diminished because right now they're capable of overrunning the entire upper and western Galilee um, and uh, we have to push them back. They have missiles, 150,000 of them pointing at Israel, but all uh, ranges. So, you know, this is a threat that that we have to remove from the border and, you know, there's a UN Security Council resolution, there's a ceasefire of the 2006 war between Israel and Hezbollah that said that they had to be pushed back north of the Litani River, which is 30 kilometers or around 20 miles north of the uh, northern border with Israel, which is outside of uh, anti-tank rocket ranges that can't be intercepted. So, um, you know, th there's a, there, there, is a, there is a ceasefire deal that Hezbollah has never abided by. Um, and the goal of any war is to physically uh, remove them from this area so that uh, life can return to northern Israel. Because right now, you know, northern Israel has just become one big military base and there are no, it's supposed to be protecting the communities, but the communities have been emptied because it's too dangerous for people to live in their house, to farm their fields. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an untenable situation and there is no diplomatic option here that can diminish Hezbollah's forces in a manner that will allow Israel any level of security that our civilians can return to their homes after what happened to the Israelis right. who live on the border community with Gaza on October 7th. Not, not until you neutralize the threat. So, so Carolyn, I want to ask you this question, actually a couple of questions. I, I, I want to get to the, the pressure the Biden administration is putting on Israel to, to basically back off. But before I do that, I, I want to jump to what their solution is. Their solution uh, that they're continuing to push is is a two-state solution. But isn't that what we've essentially had with, with Gaza? I mean, they were self-governing. Uh, they've been that way since 2007. But yet that whole time they've been gearing up for what just took place. Right. Right. No, I, I mean, first of all, it would be a massive reward for terrorism. Um, you know, what you're saying is, okay, uh, invade Israel. Uh, uh, you know, with for, with no provocation, uh, slaughter 1,200, 1,400 Israelis, seize 240, uh, commit acts of genocide, including, you know, mutilation, torture, incredible acts of sadism, uh, uh, sexual violence, um, do all of those things, and, uh, and then you get rewarded for it. We're going to give you a state. And not only are we going to give you a state, it's not just that you get Gaza, you get Judea and Samaria, the heartland of of the land of Israel, of Jewish history, of Jewish heritage, and the only and a territory that Israel requires in order to survive uh, militarily. And we're going to give you all of this uh, because, as a reward for essentially uh, your your crimes against humanity that you carried out against against the people of Israel, and 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 you have an entire society organized around genocide. The funny thing is, or the ironic thing is, that the United States is angry at Israel for saying we we don't agree to this uh, policy at all. There's no support in Israel whatsoever for this. But it works out, you know, not surprisingly, there's no support among the Palestinians. You have 
you know, 88% of the Palestinians saying, no, 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 you know, we don't, we don't want a two-state solution. We just want to annihilate Israel. Right. That's what we're about. So, you know, there's no, the, the Palestinians want to kill all the Jews. The Jews get it and therefore don't want to give them a state because they'll use it to kill all the Jews. And the Americans are saying to the Jews, you know, you're bad because you don't want to give them a state that they can use to kill you all. So let's, let's talk about the Biden administration and what they're communicating to the prime minister and, and the, the war cabinet there. Um, you know, so what uh, the, the spokesman from the State Department said today in his briefing was, oh, well, we're, we're negotiating now a long-term ceasefire for hostages. And, you know, I mean, all of us, you know, I can speak for myself personally, but I, I don't know anybody who isn't up at night, or if they're asleep, they're having nightmares about our hostages. There's literally not one person in Israel that doesn't have the hostages uh, in their prayers, in their hearts, in their minds, in their tears all the time. But the fact is that you have 9 million people in Israel that are being held hostage right now, along with 136 hostages in Gaza, because if we surrender to Hamas in order to get them out, then you know, there are going to be thousands more. The only difference between the people who are being held hostage in Gaza today and the ones who will be held hostage in Gaza or in Lebanon or in Iran or God knows where tomorrow is we don't know the name of them. We don't know their name. We know the names of the people who are being held now. But, you know, we we can't we can't sue for a long term ceasefire because it's just going to make the problem worse. It's going to make the danger greater. And it's it's a terrible thing. You know, they're they're forcing us into a situation where we have to choose between impossible, impossible alternatives. But that's that's the nature of of fighting, of being attacked, of being hated, of being the target of of an enemy that that truly I mean, it's hard for us to get our heads around because it's so evil and it's so different from us. They worship death and they and they seek literally to kill us all. I mean, it's it's right. It's not just in their charter. It's what they say, and it's what they it's do. Right, right. It's what it's exactly what they say. It's the words that come across their lips. Carolyn, you've been tracking politics, and you you know Israel well, and the governments and the transitions that have taken place there. It is is it your are, are you that? convinced that Israel is ready to move forward, even if they have to go alone politically? I think, you know, look, it's hard. Um, we have a very, very powerful opposition in the left. Um, they control most of the organs of state power, whether it's the Supreme Court or the uh, state prosecution and really the general staff of the of the army that we have. But we, you know, they're also moved by the public and you, you have um, demand that's coming from the ground up, that's coming from the reservists, that's coming from the families of, of the bereaved families whose soldiers, whose, whose loved ones have, have died in battle. You, you have it from the, the quarter of a million Israelis who are living as internal refugees, both from the south and from the north, that we cannot stop the fight. We cannot end this war uh, with a ceasefire that leaves Hamas in, in power, that leaves Hezbollah at the border uh, in the north. We, that that allows Iran to be nuclear. I mean, you know, people after October 7th, everybody's eyes are open to the danger. And we're a country that loves life and we insist on surviving. 
and uh, we understand that you can't you can't compromise on this when you it's a zero sum game you can't reach a you know it, it's not like some sort of a, a conflict resolution right. uh, postgraduate seminar right. you know there is no common ground here it's right. either us or them it's it, it's not it, it's not the reasonable man theory you can't you can't just sit down and reason and come up with a a solution uh, we're almost out of time carolyn is there a chance that Israel may move on Iran? You said the head of the snake. May we, in this environment, might Israel take the the head on? Um, all I know is that in his press conference last week, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu was asked, um, "You know, is is this uh, is this preventing us from attacking Iran, the war in Gaza?" And he said, "Who said we're not attacking Iran?" And uh, so, you know, there are all sorts of mysterious uh, explosions going on in Iran all the time. You never know what might happen to those nice, shiny uh, nuclear installations they have and their oil installations and their their gas and their gas installations. You know, you just never know. Things can happen. Carolyn, we've got to leave it there. But I will assure you that we will continue to uh, to pray for our friends in uh, in Israel. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. All right. Carolyn Glick from Israel. And we need to be praying, folks. We need to be praying for for Israel and for the peace of that whole region, for everybody. All right. Okay, we're out of time. I want to thank you for being with us today. Text the word BORDER to 67742 to weigh in on the border. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken... By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.